What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Inventing the Future podcast. Our mission with this show is to introduce you to the entrepreneurs and ideas that will inspire and empower you to solve the world's biggest problems. And we're certainly going to do that this episode by talking about NFTs. So I'm Julian Alvarez, and I'm a software engineer at Meta and a Gen Z entrepreneur, where I'm currently the co-founder and CTO at a startup named Vise. All right, so NFTs. I have been absolutely obsessed with this space for the last couple months. And I'm by no means an expert, but I have definitely taken a deep dive into this space the last few weeks, bought my first NFT uh, about two and a half months ago, and now have like 12 of them. And it's been such a fascinating thing to learn about. And I think like everyone needs to know what is going on here. So I'm going to try my best to explain what NFTs are, but some of the concepts may be a little difficult to understand. So don't worry if you don't understand everything, but I'll do my best. And before I start, of course, I must say this is not financial advice. Do your own research and I'll give you my opinion and perspective and maybe share some things I'm investing in. But yeah, you got to do your own research because it can be risky as well. So Firstly, why should you even care? Why should I care about NFTs? So NFTs are a new technology and understanding them is going to give you an invaluable problem solving tool in your toolkit as an entrepreneur. Of course, the NFTs aren't just for solving problems. You can also do several other things. Like, for example, you can raise money. Right. So many projects are raising millions of dollars just from having an idea. There's no need to go to venture capitalists or anything like that. It's a different dynamic, though. There are pros and cons, because when you go and raise money through NFTs, you're building a community and you're building like hundreds or thousands of people in your community that are going to vouch for you and are going to also hold you accountable. With VCs, though, you may get a more experienced entrepreneur or investor that can give you advice and whatnot. And there's less people to have to manage and deal with, like with a whole community. So there's trade-offs and that's important to understand. But as an entrepreneur, you got to raise money and raising money is very difficult at times. So maybe NFTs could be a good way to do that. And then finally, the other reason you should care is because of investing. I mean, this space is blowing up in terms of lucrative investment opportunities. And let me give you some figures to prove that. So the market cap of NFTs, basically the total amount of money in NFTs, went from $17 million in January of 2021 to $3.3 billion in August 2021. That is a 19,000% increase in just a few months. And in the same time, the total market cap of the S&P increased by 22%. The S&P 500 is the general index of the stock market. And 22% is pretty high for the S&P. It's usually 8%. So you can see the difference, astronomical. The trading volume, basically, what is the total amount of money that has been traded? Well, at the end of quarter three of 2020, it was 4.75 million. And that increased to 6.5 billion in quarter three of 2021. That's a 141,000% increase in just one year. And then the other metric we want to look at is the adoption, right? The number of owners of NFT. So the number of people that own NFTs went from 1 million to 25 million people just throughout this year. That's a 25x increase in adoption. So this is like hockey stick shit, man. And also the most expensive NFT ever was sold this year. And it's a digital collage of images by an artist named Beeple that sold for $69.3 million in an auction in March. I'll tell you a little bit more about that story later on when we talk about art. But before that, 
what the fuck is an NFT, right? So in case you're wondering, it's not Northern Fried Tacos and no, it's not Ninja Fighting Tattoos. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Now to understand what non-fungible means, let's first define what fungible means. So something that is fungible means that it can be exchanged for something else of equal value. For example, currencies like the US dollar or Bitcoin are fungible. If we exchange any $5 bill for another $5 bill, you'll have the exact same value. Similarly, if I give you one Bitcoin and you give me back your one Bitcoin, it's the same thing. It's worth the same thing. It's fungible, right? It's not really unique. On the other hand, non-fungible means that it's one of a kind. It's something unique. In other words, something is non-fungible when there is only one version of it and cannot be replaced with anything else because there is nothing of exact equal value. So for example, actually like most things in the real world are non-fungible. And let me give you some examples. So original paintings, right? Your painter painting pretty paintings and your original piece of art is non-fungible because there's only one. The Mona Lisa, the original one, there's only one. You can make copies of it, but the original one that was actually painted on is non-fungible. You can't really exchange it for something of equal value because it's unique. Real estate is another example of something that's non-fungible. There's only one piece of land in that certain location where it is, and that house in in its exact form is also unique. It's non-fungible. You can't really trade it for something of equal value. You'd have to put a dollar price on it. So it's kind of crazy because for the first time ever, people can genuinely own digital objects, right? And I know this is kind of like hard to fathom because when you think of the digital world, you don't really think of scarcity because you can look at an image online, you can copy it, you paste it, and it's the exact same replica, right? There's no uniqueness to it. However, NFTs can be the data of an NFT, which I'll explain how this works in a second. They can be stored in the blockchain and that represents a unique piece of a digital item or asset on the blockchain. Before I get a little more into the technical details, I think it's important to note that almost everything in the real world is non-fungible. So for example, this jacket that I may be wearing, there may be many copies of it, but this is the only one of its kind that exists because I've worn it. Maybe it has some special meaning and value to me. The computer that I have, it's also non-fungible because maybe it has some scratches. Maybe the tech doesn't work in the exact same fashion. Like Even though there's replicas of things, there is no one-to-one exact clone in the real world, right? So last point here is that you can think of NFTs as digital scarcity, where the ownership of a scarce digital asset can be proven. So now the question is, how do you prove it? How do NFTs actually work? So NFTs are blockchain-based records that uniquely represent pieces of media. So the media can be anything digital, and that includes art, videos, music, GIFs, games, text, memes, code, whatever, right? And the way it works is that NFTs contain highly trustworthy documentation of their history and origin, and they have code attached to do almost anything programmers can dream up. One very popular feature is code that ensures that the original creator of the NFT receives royalty from secondary sales. That is to say, I can create an NFT, sell it, and the original sale is called minting, which I'll explain in a bit. But after you own it, you can resell it in a secondary market. And anytime you resell it, 
you, the owner, get 10% of the royalties, 10% of the total price that it was sold for. So that way you can get residual income. So you can do very interesting things like that. But really the way you're able to prove ownership is because NFTs are stored on the blockchain, on a blockchain. There's many blockchains. Ethereum is the most popular blockchain. There's a lot of other ones like Avalanche, Polygon, Solana. But Ethereum is the most popular. You don't need to know the difference of the different blockchains. But basically, blockchain is the same technology that enabled Bitcoin to be owned by hundreds of millions of people around the world. And it represents hundreds of billions of dollars of value. Like really, when you think of blockchain, what you should really think about is a public decentralized database, right? So what does that mean? Let's look at the opposite case of a private centralized database. When you're like on Facebook, for example, you're scrolling and they get data on how you use the app, that data is stored in a private centralized database. Only Facebook and some of its employees have access to that. On the contrary, the blockchain is a public database that's decentralized. This means that you and I can both go and look at the data that's on the blockchain. It's a public ledger. Anyone can go look at it. The code is also a public ledger. Anyone can go look at the code and read it. It's open source. And the data that's stored on it is also publicly accessible. Now, this is really important because if a database where data is stored is private, That means that the company that owns that database and the data is the only ones that can access that data. But if a database is public and decentralized, that means that anyone can go ahead and access that data and use it. So what happened? NFTs leveraged the technology of blockchain in order to put the creation of a new NFT on the blockchain. So the data of NFTs and who owns them lives on the blockchain. So this is what happens when you mint an NFT. So firstly, minting an NFT refers to the process of turning a digital file. Like I previously mentioned, this can be art, videos, music, GIFs, text code, and you can store that digital file as a digital asset on the blockchain. And the digital item or file is stored in the blockchain, which is a decentralized public database forever. Right. So that means it's impossible to edit, modify or delete it. And because the database is public, you can see when it was created, who currently owns it and what the history of the transfers of the digital asset have been. And by the way, why do they call it minting an NFT when you first like create it? They call it minting because minting is a term people use to make a coin by stamping the metal. All right, but how do you prove ownership of an NFT? So when you mint an NFT, you interact with a smart contract in which you exchange a certain amount of a token, such as, for example, ETH. ETH is the currency and the token that you use on Ethereum. So Ethereum and ETH are not the same thing. Ethereum is a blockchain. ETH is the token, the currency. So again, when you go to mint an NFT, like to buy it from the original creator, you interact with a smart contract. That smart contract basically has the terms and conditions of like, hey, you're going to get this NFT and in exchange, you will give us the certain amount of Ethereum that it costs. So you do this when you interact with this, you interact with a wallet, right? So you have a digital wallet that you interact with. You can think of like your physical wallet, you store like different currencies like US dollar, maybe Eudos, whatever it is. Well, here you also store your different tokens like ETH. You store them on your digital wallet. And when you interact, when you buy the NFT, you exchange your ETH and you get the NFT in return. And the NFT is now stored in your wallet. 
And the way you can prove you own it is because your wallet has an address, right? Similar to how you have an email, that's how people are able to reach you and that's how you're able to reach people. You have a specific address for your digital wallet. And you can prove that you own it by accessing certain websites or certain communities with your wallet that proves that you own a specific NFT. So pretty crazy stuff, huh? All right. So I want to go into like the different types of NFTs and use cases for NFTs. But some things I want to clarify first is that NFTs can be like two different things. You can have collections. Like, for example, very popular NFT collections are CryptoPunks and Board API Club. And this is like a collection of 10,000 NFTs, for example. You can have collections of 1,000, 200, whatever it is. And basically, the NFTs are all unique, but they're under the same theme, the same category. But there's different traits in the NFT, like, for example, what hat they're wearing, what face they have, the color of their skin, the necklace, the shirt. All of those are traits that can have different levels of rarity, and that makes each one unique, even though it's under the same collection. Additionally, you could have just have like one-to-one art, right? One of a kind. There's no collection. It's just that one. Now, all NFTs have art or a digital asset associated with it. And some NFTs are just purely that digital asset or art, but others have interesting utility. And that's what I'll be talking about. So I have nine different use cases, I believe, for NFTs that I want to give you an example of. So the first one is digital art or collectibles. So let's backtrack, right? What is the problem here? So before... When artists sold their paintings, they only did it once and that was it. Whatever they sold it for, that's the money that they made and that's all they would ever get. Additionally, once they sold their piece of art, they would likely never communicate with the buyer, especially if that painting was resold many times. However, now artists can constantly generate revenue through royalties embedded into the smart contract of the NFTs. So I talked about this before. Basically, when you create an NFT, you can define how you want to write up that smart contract to the point where basically if I mint the NFT and I sell it, you can say like, hey, every time someone trades this NFT, I want 10% of the cost that it was sold for back in my wallet. That is the royalties. And now artists are able to generate continual revenue because of this, right? It's not just a one-time sale and that's all the money you get. Now you have passive income that continues to be generated. And that's extremely powerful for creators. So this is a great incentive for the artists because they're able to keep creating art and content due to the money that they keep on making for this. So one example of a piece of art, digital art that sold that I mentioned was Beeple. Beeple sold it for $69.3 million, as I told you. And anytime someone sells that piece of art, again, Beeple gets 10%. It's pretty crazy. Now, you may be wondering, why did someone pay $69 million for this piece of art? Why are people paying ridiculous sums of money for this piece of art? I mean, people like collecting digital art for the same reason people like physical art, such as fashion, baseball cards. And the reason for that is like a mix of aesthetics, like, whoa, this is really cool art. Patronage, like, hey, I really want to support this artist. Status, like, whoa, I'm super cool. I own this kind of like a really cool car or just collecting it and for socializing, right? So let me dive into two of these, actually. So firstly, status, right? Social capital. People don't only care about what their financial capital is. They care about their social capital, or as we Gen Zs would call it, clout. So 
if you own a specific NFT that's super cool or that costs a lot of money, you get social capital. I mean, that's status in itself. Same way with like any piece of art you have in your home. And actually, the amount of social capital that you're going to be getting is going to increase as the tools and technologies to display your NFTs come to fruition. So for example, Twitter is adding a feature where you can display what NFTs you own on your profile. And additionally, in the metaverse, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to display your NFTs. Imagine that in the metaverse, which I'll explain later, in the metaverse, like this digital virtual world, you'll be able to have your own home where you can showcase your NFTs. So in your actual physical home, you may have some paintings. And when people come to your home, they see it and they're like, that's some freaking cool art. But NFTs, like, where are you going to display that, right? Like right now, there's no place to. But as the metaverse gets built out, you'll have your own space. You can invite your friends to your virtual space or house, whatever it is, and showcase your NFTs there. Additionally, there's metaverses like Decentraland and Sandbox, which I'll talk a little bit more about later on, where you can also showcase your NFTs in your avatar. Like I can buy really cool NFT shoes and wear them in Decentraland. And as I walk around and people see my avatar, they see that NFT. By the way, there's this company, I can't remember the name, but they're making NFT shoes. And they recently sold the company to Nike for, I think, hundreds of millions of dollars, which is insane. But All right. Apart from social capital, people may not care about that. Why else might you want art? Well, you can actually make money from loaning out your NFT to a virtual museum, to a real life digital museum, or to like games that want to use it or to like films or movies that want to use it. Like you own that property, that intellectual property, and you can loan it out and people rent it out for that. In fact, Beeple, the artist that sold it for $69 million, the person that bought and paid that price said he would have paid a lot more and he thinks it's worth a billion dollars because when you have virtual museums, like literally there's going to be museums in the metaverse where you can just go and visit and see really cool art. Well, Beeple's piece is going to be one of those really cool pieces of art in museums and people pay to go to the virtual museum. Which means that the owner of Beeple's piece and any other art that is there, any other NFTs, people are going to get royalties from that, from the sale of those virtual museums. We already have real life digital museums where people are displaying digital art on them. So really crazy thing is happening here. I would say with digital art, though, it's very risky because you have to know like what is cool art or what could be valuable. It's like art in the real world. You might pay millions of dollars for a square and you think it's amazing. Other people just don't get it, right? So it could be kind of risky and you have to know how to evaluate art. So I don't really dabble there. All right, but this is maybe the form or utility of NFTs that we've heard of, but it's so much broader than that. And I asked uh, what questions in my Instagram for the podcast, what questions you guys have about NFTs and Mauricio De Gregori asked, what are some other uses for NFTs besides digital art? So let's get into it. The second one is music. Music is a form of art, but I'd say it's pretty different from digital art itself. Now, music is a particularly important area for NFTs because Web2 pays out very little to musicians. Like the pain points here are firstly, they don't make a lot of money. Like artists are traditionally bought out by music labels and are often giving little to no royalties at all. Like, for example, out of the 8 million musicians on streaming services like Spotify, only 15,000 of them make $50,000 a year or more. 
that's less than 0.2% of artists. So, I mean, outside of superstars, musicians really don't make that much money from the internet. And that's because the vast majority of revenue is kept by the streaming services and music labels. So how do artists usually make money either through streaming or buying their songs? And by the way, on Spotify, you get like a third to two thirds of a penny per stream. Not that much. And that's because your music label may take the majority of that. Additionally, musicians may make money through going to concerts, but if you're not that big, you may not be able to attract a big enough crowd to make a significant amount of money or they could sell merch. But again, if you don't have like that many fans, you're not going to make a significant amount of revenue from that. Apart from money, the other pain point is that marketing can be pretty expensive and ineffective. Like, have you ever discovered a low-key artist through an ad? And I mean, if you did, like in Spotify's discovery, you probably have to pay a ton of money to get your ad in a place people would actually listen to you. And again, new and upcoming artists, since they don't make a lot of money or don't have a lot of money, they don't really have much to invest in marketing anyways. Apart from that, the third and final pain point is that you can't even like communicate with the artist, right? If you are a fan of the music, it's pretty hard sometimes to be able to communicate with the musician. So there's not a lot of communities built out for that. Like if I listen to an artist on Spotify, if I really want to reach out to them, I might have to find them on socials, which isn't very convenient. All right, so how does NFT solve this? So there's a bunch of new music NFT projects that have launched recently, including sound.xyz and royal.io. I'll focus just on royal.io, but with royal.io, an artist can fractionalize ownership of a song. What does that mean? So for example, let's say that the creator of a song fractionalizes the ownership of their song into a thousand NFTs. That means that if you own one of the 1,000 NFTs, you would get 0.1% ownership and therefore 0.1% royalties of the song. So this means that you can now own a portion of a song created by an artist. Now, not only do you make passive income through royalties, which if the song does succeed and does better, you're going to make a good amount of royalties. But if the song also does well, you could resell that one NFT or however many NFTs you own back into the market for a higher price, right? So it's like owning a house. You can make money from the appreciation of the house, or you could also rent it out and make money passively through renting the house out. Additionally, you get a huge benefit of being able to interact with your community, right? So NFTs really are like community drivers. If you buy a fraction of a song, you're much more likely to share the song of the artist or tell others about the artist because you have a financial incentive for the song and artist to succeed. So NFTs really are allowing you to create exclusive communities that can only be accessed by people that own an NFT for that song or artist. That means that you will be able to more easily communicate with artists and other fans. So in general, to summarize this, artists will be able to get more money to fund their music production by selling a fraction of their potential. They will be able to get more feedback from their fans, which will help them improve and get better. They're going to get free marketing on their music because their fans are, have a financial incentive to share the music. And they're going to receive passive income from the royalties they get on the reselling of the NFTs that give you ownership on certain songs. So... The big shift here that I want to communicate is that you are able to invest in an artist's potential, right? 
this is crazy because before you could only like stream a song and pay them through that or go to a concert you couldn't really invest in an artist's potential but now you can only music labels were able to invest in a musician's potential but now everyone is going to have access to that all right and finally musicians are going to be able to get an additional source of income through concerts that they host in the metaverse more and more concerts are being hosted in the metaverse in fact travis scott even though he's controversial right now he hosted a concert in Fortnite and generated 20 million dollars of revenue insane. And you get access to a global audience. You don't have to go to a city where you have raving fans. You can go do it anywhere in the metaverse and people all over the world can connect. So great things coming ahead for them. All right. The third use case for NFTs is access-based NFTs. So in the real world, let's use the example of tickets. Tickets give you access to events such as like concerts and sporting events. But there's a huge problem around fraud and scamming with tickets. So one platform that's an example of where you can buy and resell tickets is StubHub. But StubHub charges super high fees, like 10 to 25% for buyers and 15% for sellers. That's an aggregate of around 30% in fees in total between the buyers and the sellers. Now, why do they charge such crazy high fees? Well, that's because one, they're a centralized platform and company that has to pay its employees to operate. But two, more importantly, because they give you the guarantee that if you get scammed and the ticket doesn't work, they'll give you your money back. So scamming does happen. Fraud is very common. And that means that if you do buy on StubHub and you get scammed, StubHub has to pay a really high price to make up for that. Same thing with credit card companies and fraud. They have to pay a huge amount of money to be able to cover that. And those are fees that are reflected in credit cards and whatnot. And apart from that, maybe you get your money back, but you went to the concert and they didn't let you in. It's still a shitty experience. So not fun at all. But NFTs really have the potential to solve this problem because you can say like, hey, I bought the NFT as a ticket for this event. I can prove that I have it. And here it is. And if I want to sell it, I can use a smart contract where I can see like, hey, this is the NFT I'm going to get. It's going to be in my wallet. And this is what I pay for it. It's decentralized. There's a transaction. There's no intermediary, which means that you don't have to pay stupid high fees. And there's no risk of fraud because you can verify that the ticket is authentic and that there's only one of that ticket. So pretty crazy stuff. Another way access-based NFTs are being manifested is through access to exclusive communities and perks and privileges. So, for example, one of the biggest, most popular NFT projects is called Board Ape Yacht Club. The cheapest Board Ape, there's 10,000 of them, the cheapest one can cost you a quarter million dollars. It's pretty crazy, but that gives you access to exclusive membership where you can go to in-person events and events in the metaverse where only people that have a board eight yacht club are able to go there's crazy things i also bought a access-based nft called the founder's key impact theory founder's key by tom bailey this was actually the first nft that i bought and this gives you access to quarterly dinners for everyone that owns nft you can get backstage meet and greet passes for tom you can get whitelisted to nft drops that just means you get priority access to being able to mint the nfts and you get all of tom's premium content for impact theory university for free for life which costs like 50 dollars a month so you can do really interesting things with this Hey, thank you for listening to part one of What the Fuck is an NFT? Check out the next part, part two, to learn a hell of a lot more about NFTs.